Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walks as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory and their shame, with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from, from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject, subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. Psalm 16, I'm going to read a verse for you. I've been in Daniel chapter 9. If you know much about the book of Daniel, there's a lot of history in the first six chapters. You get to chapter 7 and visions start, and the first ones are pretty simple, pretty straightforward. And you get to Daniel chapter 9, and it become, you begin to scratch your head a little bit. I've been working through that chapter for the last couple weeks, and a pretty heavy chapter, just trying to uh, make headway through it, have a kind of a change of thought about how I used to understand that scripture, so it's, been, it's taken me a while. But sometimes you're in uh, apocalyptic literature, uh, like Daniel, um, like the book of Revelation, sometimes you can get real bogged down in details, and you're trying to just, it's, it's information you're after, and sometimes you just need to take a break, and you need to come back and just read something that's just going to feed your soul a little, uh, a little more refreshed. But anyway, Psalm 16, I worked through that psalm this week, and verse 11, the last verse, is you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Isn't that wonderful? In your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. I want to uh, just ask you, as we were singing those songs, could you, could, did it resonate with your heart? You know, for some of us, you're singing, but you're shaking your head in agreement to the truth that we're singing because we've been impacted by the truth of God's Word. and We've been impacted by the gospel, and God's saved us. He poured out grace upon us. And, 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 and in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. Isn't that amazing? We can experience the joy of the Lord. Even though we're going through, some of us are going through very difficult situations with our families, with our health, but yet we can have joy because of what the Lord has done for us. And if you're here and you couldn't understand or you couldn't identify with the, the true songs we just sang, and you can't really say that, yeah, you know, in, the presence, in God's presence there's fullness of joy, my prayer today is that you'll... You'll repent and you'll trust Christ and you'll experience the joy of the Lord today. So you can't experience the joy of the Lord on your own. And getting her done and being good and, and, and turning over a new leaf and, and changing your, your habits, that won't get it done either. That may make you a, a better person, make it more bearable for those who are around you. But joy comes from knowing Christ. The truth of the matter is we're all sinful. We all deserve God's wrath. We're rebellious. None of us are good in God's sight. God knew that, and his plan was for him to send his son. 2,000 years ago, Jesus took on flesh. He became a man, and he, he, he walked this earth, and he obeyed God's law completely. See, he did all the things that we try to do in our own strength. Jesus did to perfection. And even though he didn't deserve to die, he was put to death on a, on a Roman cross. And he did that willingly because that was a father's will because it was through Jesus' death that atonement for sin was made. See, we all deserve his wrath. And so what Jesus did is Jesus bore the wrath of the Father. 
on behalf of sinners like you and me. And he died a cruel, terrible death, and he was separated from the Father. And he was buried, and on the third day he rose from the grave to defeat sin and death. And the Bible says that he rose for our justification. And what that means is he died, he paid the penalty of sin and death, and he paid the penalty for sin, the wages of sin. But then on that third day, he rose from the dead so that sinners like you, terrible people like you, like you don't know who I am. How do you say you're terrible? Because the Bible says you're terrible, just like it says I'm terrible. But Jesus rose from the dead. So to people like sinners, like, like all of us here, could stand before the Father and we could be blameless because of what Christ done for us. And the Bible says that we, we don't, it's not like we just approach the Father sheepishly because we're sinful. No, the Bible says because of what Christ has done, we can approach the Father, the one who's created the world, we can approach Him not shamedly, but boldly, knowing because of what Christ has done and only because of what Christ has done. We can approach Him boldly and we can draw near to Him like a, a little child does to their loving Father. And that's what God has done for so many of us here. But if, if you're saying, I haven't experienced the joy that comes as a result of that relationship, man, my prayer is that you'll repent and you'll trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. And you'll leave here this morning a changed person for all eternity. You know, the, the, the wonderful thing, not just joy in this lifetime, but you know what we have guaranteed is an inheritance, which means we're going to be with the Lord forever. And it's not like, oh, we just want to go to heaven so everything can be good. No, we want to go to heaven because Jesus is there. And we're going to be with Him. And we're going to be able to worship Him and give Him glory for all eternity, uninhibited. We're not going to be distracted. We're going to be able to praise Him because we're not going to be sinful. And that's what we look forward to, and that's our hope. Turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're walking through this book. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad you're here. We, we pray that you, you experience... Um, the love of Christ through His church, and we pray that through the singing, if you haven't been blessed through the singing, I'm sorry, that's, you, you, it's not going to happen for you here because that singing was good and those songs were truthful and helpful. Uh, I'm hoping, you know, we sing because we want, we want us to be able to sing all throughout the week. We want our kids to be able to sing all throughout the week. And, and I'll tell you this, what happens on your way to work as you're driving to work, if you don't cut the radio on and you don't get on the phone, use your Bluetooth and all that kind of stuff, if you think what's going to happen is some of these, these songs that we just sang, they're going to come to your remembrance. And it's going it's to encourage your soul, and you're going to be empowered for the day. Philippians chapter 3, we just walked through books of the Bible verse by verse, and we're in chapter 3, verse 17. We're going to look at verse 14 and read that just by way of context. When you jump into a text, you always want to know what comes before it, what's going on here. Just like if I, if I sent you a letter... If you had a letter and you um, read it, you would start reading it from the beginning, right? And so we need to understand. We're jumping here in chapter 3, but we need to understand what's going on in verse uh, 17. So Paul is writing this uh, to the Philippians. Um, and Pooh's moving over here because it's time for children to be like, I just got so, I just got so caught up in, in, in the gospel that we got. Um, Pooh, you got to be a little bit more. You got to be a little bit more. Yeah, what, what's the sign? You know, what's the sign? Is there going to be a sign like, you know? Um, children, come on over here. I'm sorry. I know y'all are, man, Pastor Shane, be quiet and let's go to children's church. We got to come up with a little something. Amy, we got to, 
were you really? I was just so focused. I was so focused. I just wasn't, I wasn't seeing any, I didn't see you and I didn't see her. It was just, sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need help. I don't know why I'm a little OCD, Blondie. Will you get that door for me? I'm sorry, man. I can't do it. I don't know why that is. Philippians chapter 3. We're, we're here, and what's happened, Paul, is he began this church. He started this church. He was a missionary church planner. He started the church in Philippi on a second missionary journey, and he, he revisited that church briefly on his third missionary journey, but what he's doing now is, is he's in prison. And he's waiting trial. And, and the Philippians, because they love Paul, and they're poor, and they're a Gentile congregation, and they don't have a lot of money. But what they're doing is they're sending uh, money. They've sent money by way of Epaphroditus to Paul to support him because they love Paul. And Paul is so encouraged by their gift and by their support. And so what he's doing, he's writing this letter, and he's sending it back to the Philippians to encourage them and to teach them um, what they need to know. So look at verse 14. Just by way of uh, context, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now there in verse um, 15 and 16, he says, I'm pressing on. I'm not letting things that have happened in my past, sin in my past, rebellion in my past, I'm not letting that mess me up, hold me back. I'm not letting past successes hold me back. What I'm doing is I'm pressing on because I want to know Christ more. And I want to be more like Christ. And he says, mature believers want to know Christ. They want to be like Him. And so this, this teaching you have received, Paul says, continue in that. The path you're on, stay on that. Keep getting after it and pursuing Christ. And it's not something where you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and you just grit your teeth and you just get it done. No, this is by the power of God. This is by the grace of God we do these things. So continue on that path. And if, if, if some of these things that I've been teaching you, you kind of get sideways and think, well, maybe that's not true, God will reveal that to you also. Paul says, I'm confident the Spirit of God is going is to keep you going on this track and He's going to remind you of the things you've been taught. And if you're not real sure if some of these things are you know, exactly right, God's going to, I've got confidence that God's going to help you with that. And he, we've seen that time and time again uh, in the Scripture. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 4. Paul says, And we have confidence in the Lord about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. We see it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view than mine. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. And it's not like Paul saying, Now I want you to, just listen to me and do what I say. It's not that. It's No, because what Paul is teaching is the truth. And there's only one gospel. And if you get away from the gospel, then you're, you're going on the wrong, wrong path. Again, Philemon 21. Confident of your obedience, Philemon, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. So we see this time and time again. Paul says, I know that you're going to continue and that there's, I have confidence that you're going to obey. And I have confidence in the Lord that he's going to help you as you mature in the faith, stay on the right path. So what do we learn from our text today? Hunter read it for us in verse 17 uh, through chapter 4, verse 1. Three, three points from our text today. The first is follow Paul's pattern of life. He's a good example to follow. Look at verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keeping your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, what, what's the pattern? See, Paul's pattern of life. What's the pattern? Well, he was saved by grace through faith, wasn't he? He's saved by grace through faith. That's the gospel. The gospel had the gospel had empowered his life, had changed his life. 
And he says, so continue trusting the gospel and pursuing Christ. And, and some in the history of the church, they started out well. And I just thought about the history of the church. Throughout the history of the church, from the early church after Jesus ascended up till the present day. And there's some people who started out really well and they've embraced the gospel uh, uh, through faith, by grace alone. But then they get off track. And Paul's saying, continue. If you're mature, continue, continue, continue pursuing Christ. Continue to live out the gospel and trust in Christ. And, and Paul's not saying that he's perfect. In fact, look up at verse 12 of chapter 3. Not that I've already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. He's not saying he's perfect. In fact, by Paul not being perfect, he was a good example, a better example for us. Because we don't need someone who's like Christ. We don't need someone to be perfect, Larry Keith, because Jesus has already been perfect. He's our ultimate exemplar. We don't need that. What do we need? We need to see somebody. Yes, we need Christ's example, but what we also need, Miss Mary Jane, is we need to see somebody that's walking that straight and narrow path, someone who's pursuing Christ. Someone who's a one-thing person, they're pursuing Christ, and they're fighting against sin. That's what we need because guess what? We're sinners, and we have to battle and work and strive and fight against sin in the flesh, don't we? So that's what we need. And so Paul says, imitate me. Follow me. Watch my example as I pursue Christ and fight against sin in my own life. Watch me and imitate me. They needed to see someone wrestle with sin issues. Uh, several years ago when I came back and began passing the church, we wanted to have interns that come and help us in the summer. Once, because in the summer, kids are out of school and we need something, you know, somebody to help with that. But also, we just wanted to bring in people who are good examples for the kids. And we've had several young men and women who've done that in the last few years. And I'm so thankful for them. And I'm so thankful for Morgan being here. You know, because Morgan is, um, he's a young man growing in the Lord. And, and everything that we, we ask him to do, he's doing. He's, he's growing He's growing, he's growing, and he's a good example. He's a good example for the kids and for the students and for, for the adults as well. We're thankful for that. But sometimes what's happened throughout the history of the church is people have gotten off track. They embrace the gospel, but then they get off track. And I was just thinking about examples. Uh, those who've experienced the saving grace of God, but then right after the, the time of the early church, there was a lot of men who embraced the monastic way of life. And they felt like they had to pay the Lord back for what he'd done for them, so they became a hermit. And they denied themselves things like um, the joys of marriage, so they remained celibate to pay the Lord back for all that the Lord had done for them. And so what you, you find is they become ascetics. I can't enjoy the things, that, the pleasures of the world because I've got to pay the Lord back. And by me suffering and denying myself these pleasures like marriage and comforts of life. They feel like they're doing the Lord a service. Other folks, during the Middle Ages, as we walk through the history of the church, think about the Middle Ages, and there were some who embraced the gospel, but yet they felt like in order to honor Christ, they had to go and crusade against Islam. After the Reformation and, and all the, the wonderful things that took place, the Protestant Reformation, um, they, they, they embraced justification by faith alone. And, and, but but, but Many of them got distracted right after that, and, and they began to, to squabble and fuss over minor doctrinal issues. And in what you end up having, you have this fragmentation of the church and all these different denominations. And then the 20th century, you think about the charismatics who embraced the gospel, but then they began to focus more 
on sign gifts and the miraculous and what happens. Before you know it, they're, they're off base. And so we've seen that, seen those get distracted or, or sidetracked. And Paul is telling the Philippian believers to keep the gospel in view, keep trusting Christ, keep pursuing him so you can become like him. And one way to do that is by imitating me, Paul says. Paul says, imitate me. Watch what I do as I fight against sin. Imitate me. Do as I do. And he told the same thing to the, the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And you, you might say, well, that's kind of egocentric. Paul's kind of full of himself, isn't he? He said, hey, just do what I do. Just watch me. I can get it done. Just watch what I do and do what I do. But now he's not egocentric. He's Christocentric. Because Paul's not saying, hey, watch me alone. I got it together. No one else does, but I do. But no, what does he, what does he say here? Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in who? What's the Bible say? Look at verse 17. He didn't say me, he says us. Yeah, because Paul's not the only one who's got together. We think about Timothy and Epaphroditus. They're loving the Lord, pursuing the Lord too, aren't they? And so Paul consistently gives living examples as we've walked through this letter so far, examples of those who who love the Lord. Not just himself. He, he does give an example of himself. His humility in chapter 1, verse 12 through 16. But, but what about Christ? The example of being a servant. In chapter 2, verse 5 through 11. And then Timothy, the latter part of chapter 2, and Epaphroditus. They were one thing people. He says, hey, you need to be like them. You need to watch their example and live like them. They're one thing people. You remember that? See, it's not just enough to be orthodox in in doctrine regarding salvation, but we also be we have to be orthodox in how we live as well. Once you become a believer, we still have to trust Christ and embrace the gospel day in and day out. They should follow Paul's example because not everyone is worth following. Second point: watch out for the bad examples. Because bad examples are a plenty. Look at verse 18 and 19. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with mindsets, with minds set on earthly things. Some were distorting the gospel. This beautiful, life-changing gospel, this life trans. Forming gospel, they were distorting. The gospel was becoming disfigured by these false teachers. It's kind of like you think about masterpieces. You think about, I always think about the Mona Lisa. Is the Mona Lisa actually that good of a painting? I, I mean, I look at it, it's like, yeah, okay. But there's something about it. I don't know much about art, but there's something beautiful and incredible about it. But it's kind of like if you took black... Um, watercolor paint and you deface the Mona Lisa. You got this masterpiece, there's only one in the world and you deface it. And that's what was going on with the gospel, this wonderful, beautiful gospel. These false teachers, they were distorting it. And in verse 2 of chapter 3, Paul calls a certain group of false teachers dogs. Do you remember? They thought they had arrived when Paul knew that he had not. These were the Judaizers. Do you remember? They were Jews who wanted the Gentiles to first become Jews before they could follow Jesus. 
They added to the gospel. They didn't say, don't trust Christ, don't follow Jesus. No, they say, follow Jesus, but also do this other thing. Be circumcised, follow the food laws, keep the ceremonial laws, dot, 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 dot. They added to it. But these false teachers, in verse 18, they're different. I don't think they're the same false teachers. They were those who didn't add to the gospel, but, but subtracted from it. I'll kind of explain what I mean by that. Let's look at these characteristics of these false teachers. It says they're enemies of the cross of Christ. See, they were opposed to the pure gospel. The pure gospel says that Jesus, who was perfect, went to the cross. Why? To pay sin's debt. To receive the wrath of God. To become a propitiation for our sin. But these false teachers, they weren't saying that Jesus wasn't God. They probably weren't denying the deity of Christ. Maybe not even denying he was crucified and resurrected. And most likely these false teachers, they're not just pagans who don't have a clue. They're somehow affiliated with the church. They have ties to the church. We don't know who they were exactly. But we know they're not believers because it's, he goes on to say that it, their end is... They're destructions. So we know they're going to be destroyed, right? That's not the, the language you would use of a believer. So they're not believers, but what are they doing? They are, they're distorting the gospel. And, and Paul had warned them. He says he's warned them many times. Look at verse 18. He, he's warned them many times. I've often told you and now tell you even with tears. And it breaks his heart because there are some false teachers there that are leading them astray. And he did this. He, he warned them, but he also he warned the, the Ephesian believers as well. Do you remember right on his way to Rome, he, um, he had spent almost three years in Ephesus. He really loved that church, and he, had, he sent for them, and he had the elders meet him, and he had his sweet time where he's kissing them and loving them. He tells them, I'll never see you again, and they're all just crying. And, and this is what he says in, in Acts chapter 20, verse 29 through 30. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. So we see him warning the church in Ephesus, and he warns the church here. False teachers are coming. Firstly, the Judaizers, those dogs, and now these enemies of the cross. And they're not adding to, they're taking away from. And, and all heresy in, in, in that you hear is either the Bible plus, that's what the Judaizers were teaching, or it's Bible minus. And the, these false teachers weren't adding to it. They were subtracting from it. And, and doctrine is really, really important. You say, well, it's just kind of doctrine and stuff. I don't really, that's kind of dusty. I don't really get into that too much. But doctrinal accuracy is really important. For what we do in practice is directly related to what we believe. So doctrine is really, really important. You're saved from sin to be free from the power of sin, the bondage of sin. You're given new life so you can obey the Lord. The way of the cross is the way of Christ. The way of Christ is the way of the cross. Luke, you could summarize Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 23, in Jesus' own words. If anyone would come after me, let him do what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, these false teachers here, they were enemies of the cross, they, they would hate it when you would say things like that. Deny yourself. Put off temporal pleasures. We don't live for this world. 
We await a reward that's coming later. They would hate that. That's terrible. Who wants to do that? They were antinomians. They didn't like the law suppressing them, taking away their good time, taking away their liberties is what they would say. They would say things like, well, if I'm saved, I can do whatever I want. My future is secure in Christ, so now I can live how I want to live. You don't have to suffer for Christ. Christ has already done all the suffering for you. Temporal pleasures were their delight. It's what they lived for. It's kind of like similar to the world today. The world, parts of... A lot of people probably say that in the world. If you deny yourself, it's almost unethical. Think about those with homosexual desires who would say, no, you have to deny your flesh. But people say, oh, that's, that's terrible. No, you, you, you don't suppress your desires, you express them. Or even in the world, you, someone who's not happily married, they're not happy, but they meet someone else that can make them happy. The word would say, go for it. You, you need to be happy. Don't deny yourself. Right? They're enemies of the cross, distorting the gospel. They're also, says the end is their destruction. The word destruction there is the opposite of salvation. Those who reject the gospel of Christ, refuse to submit to him, will be thrown into the lake of fire. And that's bad news, isn't it? Revelation 20, verse 15. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. That's a literal, real place. John three eighteen. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, who does not submit to the Lord, who does not repent, is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You're condemned already. Destruction, condemned, synonymous. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verse seven through nine. It kind of picks up in the middle of this passage. There's a lot of persecution going on, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, and that's the second coming of Christ, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God. That's destruction. That's condemnation. And on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Their end is their destruction. While those in Christ will experience salvation, those who oppose the gospel message will suffer eternal destruction. The God is their belly. It's another characteristic of these false teachers. Their, their appetites rule them. They worship their passions. Their value system is upside down. They do what they want to do. There's no restraint. They live self-indulgent lives. Jude, chapter, uh, Jude uh, verse 4, we see... These folks are doing the same thing. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, that destruction. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. How do they deny Him? They deny Him by not submitting to Him, right? By not carrying their cross. They pervert the grace of God. They say, we can do what we want to do because we are free Those who do what they want to do when they want to do it show they fail to accept the death 
of the old life. And as a result, they've disqualified themselves from the new. Another characteristic, it says they glory in their shame. They glory in their shame. What they should be ashamed of, they're proud of. I think about a man fornicating with a woman who isn't his wife and him bragging about it. That's kind of the picture here. No, brother, he was in, incarcerated and he wasn't a believer. And so while he was incarcerated, he, he got some, some tattoos. It was kind of like his badge of honor there in the slammer. And he was so proud of these tattoos and they were, um, they were distasteful to say the least. This markings he got put on himself. But he was born again. He became a believer and he was released from prison. And so he wears long sleeve shirts. And if you know much about myself and Sammy, we have a little sun allergy. And we, we wear long sleeve shirts year round. Well, this man did too. Not because he had a sun allergy, but because he has garbage on his body. He has to cover up. But you know, before he was born again, he was proud of this artwork, what he called it on his body. And it blasphemed the Lord. Terrible stuff. He used to think it was awesome. Parade around, showing it off. And now, you know what? Now he's ashamed. He didn't want to take his shirt off because he's embarrassed and ashamed because of the filth that's on his body. All the words and the pictures that are Pornographic stuff's all on his body, but now he he's ashamed of what he should be ashamed of. Before he wasn't ashamed of it; he was proud of it. That's like these false teachers. Their glory, they glory in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. It says, verse nineteen. Their minds are set on earthly things. This means that. They, they set their agenda according to the here and now. Earthly means now, temporary. Hedonism is their belief system. It's their doctrine they embrace. It means do whatever feels good. Do whatever you want to do now. The pursuit of fleshly pleasures is their goal. They're worldly. We talk about worldliness. Oh, you're worldly. You're earthly. Yeah, same thing. In fact, Colossians chapter 3, Paul tells the Believers in Colossae, set your minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. In other words, don't be earthly, don't be worldly. But these, these false teachers are worldly. Romans chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. Anytime you see the word flesh, think about, think temporal pleasures. The here and now. Whatever makes you feel good now, okay? For those who... Um, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us for we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Let me read this to you. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. To be fleshly. Sometimes we call it, I say that sometimes at home. You're going to make me get in the flesh. <laughs> My kids, don't make me get in the flesh, okay? You're going to make me get in the flesh. That's just worldly, temporal, right? Don't be fleshly. Don't be worldly. Do you know 
what you have to do in order to be worldly? John, you, you don't have to do anything. Absolutely nothing. Because in this world, living in this world that we live in, with the, the, our flesh, our selfish habits being our default mode, you don't have to do anything. You'll just be worldly. You live in the world, you'll be worldly. Your kids, you want your kids to be worldly? You don't have to do anything. Let them live day in and day out in this world. Go to school, play ball, do rec league, da 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 Be in your family. Your kids are going to be worldly. Worldliness knows where you live. You don't have to go courting it, pursuing it. It's going to pursue you. It knows your email address. It knows your phone number. It knows where you live. Unless you really have this resolve to resist worldliness, you will be sucked into it. I think about uh, students. There, there's students, high school students, who are brought up in the church. I'm not saying they're Christian. They may be. You have a lot of students who are brought up in the church in homes day in and day out living with parents who love the Lord, and they go to college. And what happens when they go to college is you parents, you spend tens of thousands of dollars, and you give it to this professor who's very charismatic, but it does not have your value system, and he's very worldly. And he, he proceeds to tell your child how ignorant and stupid you are. And what happens more times than not is our children are being become they become worldly and earthly. And it kind of scares me, especially during this time, this kind of epidemic time. We don't have a lot of people in church, and I know there's, there's reasons for that. But wow, I'm just like, man, our kids. And I know you parents, you want all the help you can get because you're trying to help your child to have your value system and not be worldly. But man, we, we, we need all the help we can get, right? So I'm afraid for some of our students. We haven't seen some of our students in a long time. Like, wow, we just, it's, and it's the parents' job to disciple children, but, but the church, we want to reinforce what the parents are teaching. And so I'm a little afraid for some of these folks. You know, you don't see them very often. You don't know what's going on in their lives very much and can't keep up with them, but they're going to be going to school and what's going to happen? Lord willing, they'll continue on the faith. They'll embrace their parents' values, biblical values, but if we're not careful, our kids get gobbled up by all those charismatic earthly, worldly people and influence them in a way that doesn't please the Lord. Verse 20 and 21, third point. But unlike the false teachers, believers are homesick in this life. You ever been homesick? You ever been homesick? I uh, moved to Louisville. I lived in Louisville about five years. And... Um, then I got married, and Jenny and I, we moved overseas. I was overseas for about 11 years, and so I was gone for a long time. And I've experienced homesickness. You ever experienced it? There, there are a lot of you, maybe you're not, you, you grew up here, and you lived here, and you haven't moved off. And, but when you're homesick, you just think sometimes, you think, man, if I could just be back in, 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 in this environment that I'm familiar with, that I know, and I can just see people and talk with people that I'm used to talking to, maybe even speak my own language or my own dialect, right? I just feel like it'll just make things better. It'd be better for a bit. You ever experienced that, some of you? Some of you haven't lived at home. Maybe you've, some of you have done military time. 
maybe you've moved away for college or whatnot, but you get homesick. Man, if I could just be back home, everything will be okay. That's what Paul's saying here. He's, he's a believer. He trusts the Lord. But we're homesick in this life. And there's a stark contrast between those Paul just described and, and, and Paul himself and the Christians in Philippi. Look at verse 20 and 21. He just says, And their glories are shame with mindset on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. We're not all about the here and now, temporal. Now, 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 now. Experience all I can. Get while the getting's good. No, that's not our mentality. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Yeah, for us believers, our future is much brighter, isn't it? We await a Savior. Romans chapter 8, verse 23. And not only the creation is speaking about because of sin, there's been... Um, Corruption in the world, not just with us personally as sinners, but in the world, the physical world. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Yeah, we await a Savior, don't we? We're going to be adopted. We're already adopted, right? It's that already, not yet tension. Yeah, we're, we're children of God. We're guaranteed an inheritance, but we haven't received it yet. Yeah, we live in the, a part of the kingdom of God, but the, the kingdom is not yet complete. It's not Things haven't been made as they should be, but it will be. We wait a Savior, Jesus, when he comes back, right? Yeah, that's something we, we long for. As opposed to what? The end being their destruction, the lake of fire, and apart from the Lord, right? No, we'll be with the Lord. And we're, we're not free to do what we want because the false teachers say, man, we're, we, they, they reveled in their freedom. No, we, we're freedom. We can do what we want to do. Our sin debt's been paid for. We can live however we want to live. Abuse grace. Right? But the believer doesn't say we, we, we're free to do what we want. No, we're free to do what we ought. The difference. We're free to do what we ought to do. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16 Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Yeah, believers are, are free, right? Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He'll do what? We'll transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Yeah, we'll have transformed bodies. Christ at His return will transform our mortal body so that we will conform to the character of His resurrection body. This power of Christ is limitless and, and in the end all things are going to be su subject to Him. And you know why it's subject to Him? Because, and why that's a wonderful thing for us? Because we, we're practicing being subject to Him now every day, 24-7. That's what we're doing. We're, we're trying to be subject to the Lord. And one day when all things are subject to Christ, yeah, we're going to be, oh, this is complete. This is as it should be. B, this is what we've been training ourselves to do. Subject ourselves to Christ. Our citizenship is not on earth but in heaven. And what delights most people in the world doesn't delight us. When I was, we lived overseas 
there was um, some food that we, we ate, and we loved the food. It was the best food in the world. Um, I would eat it three times a day, every day. And we would go out for Western food. My family would get Western food, and I would eat Chinese food. I just loved it. But there were certain things that I couldn't eat. One of the things that they, they, would, um, they would do is they would take a chicken, and they would bleed the chicken. And they would put the, they were, they were butchering a chicken, they would put the blood in a, in a skillet, and they would fry the skillet. I mean, fry the blood in the skillet, but they wouldn't cook it very much. Just a, just a short amount of time, where it's not like it's just still kind of like liquid form. And they would want you to do is bring your bowl over, and you would just kind of pour it in your bowl. Now I, I ate everything that Chinese people gave me. When you when you go out to the countryside, you just whatever they gave you, you ate. The kids eat it, and you're praying, Jesus help me, Jesus help me, Jesus help me. <laughs> that happened a thousand times, and what happens? is after a while, you begin to crave some of those things that you used to abhor. Hey, I'm not Chinese. I'm not a Chinese citizen. I'm an American citizen. And chicken, fried chicken blood, I could not eat. Why? I'm not a citizen of China. Wasn't used to eating lukewarm chicken blood. Just wasn't used to eating it. Yeah, you're grossed out. I was grossed out, too, every time. And so I would have to do something. I'm a Christian. We don't eat blood. That's what I would do. I'm a Christian. We don't eat blood. That would be my fa- And I would do it for Jenny, too. She'll tell you. I got our family out of that thing several times, right? Yeah. I'm not, a, I'm just, I'm not one of them. And I could speak their language, and I love their culture, and I could get in and rub elbows with them. I could live there the rest of my lives and be fine. But I, I nah, couldn't eat the chicken blood. We should get grossed out by what earthly people do because we're not citizens of this kingdom. We're citizens of heaven. You ever get grossed out by the world? You ever feel out of place when you watch TV? Some of you have TV. You really need to watch your TV. I'm telling you. If you've got satellite dish, da-da-da, and you've got kids, you really need to watch it because, man, there's some terrible stuff on TV. If you're watching TV sometimes and you don't feel out of place, you should. But you do, don't you? Sometimes you're just watching it like, what in the world? Turn this off. Why is this in my house? Why am I watching this, right? You're at work, you ever feel out of place at work? You're around your coworkers? People that their value system and yours, just they're not the same. You just feel out of place. Maybe you feel out of place. Some of you feel out of place in your family. You have family reunions in your own family because you're the only sole lone believer in your family. You just feel out of place. The things they do when they get together and all this stuff. I just don't fit in. I just, I, I, I just don't belong. Yeah. Oftentimes, many times, as believers, we just don't belong. Man, it's just not our home. It's not our home. Don't be surprised. We're like, man, this, why is it like this? Yeah, you should feel that way often because we live in a messed up, sinful, terrible world. Maybe students at, at school, you're at the lunch table and you're there, you say, man, I just don't fit in, man. All the conversation going on is just so worldly and terrible. I just don't fit in. Yeah. If you're a believer, it'll be times like that. Yeah. And we have to learn how to respond rightly, right? But 
If you're not heavenly minded, if you're not homesick for your home, if you're not longing for something that this world can't give you, you're, you're, you'll be vulnerable to worldliness, being earthly. And, and Christians, we, we know this, this our, our true home's in heaven, not on earth. And even the Old Testament, they even knew that. The old saints who trusted the Lord. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. And this is right after the, the, the faith, it's in the faith chapter. And this is about all the people that trust the Lord. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a what? A homeland. Not, not this homeland, but the one to come. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. And that's where we're going. That's what we long for. Man, a better home, a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Christians are not at home here on earth. We're hoping, we're longing for Christ to return, and he's going to make us like himself, and we're going to be in glory. What a contrast there is in this text, verse 18. In 19, in the verse 20 and 21, you got a true believer and you got a counterfeit saint. It's evident in their doctrine, it's evident in their attitudes, it's evident in their conduct. And, and you know, we blow it and we, we, live, we, we live worldly at times, don't we? We get in the flesh and act silly and selfish and do things we shouldn't do. That happens, right? But by and large, this isn't our home and we shouldn't feel too comfortable here. So what do we do with this text? What, what's the application? I think firstly is we imitate Paul and the other good examples we're given in Scripture. We read the Scriptures. We follow their example. But I'm going to tell you, when I was in seminary, I moved. I didn't know anything about seminary. I just knew that I was here. I didn't have anybody to teach me how to study the Bible or teach the Bible. And I, I got to find out how to, because I want to do ministry. So I went to seminary and and, and I just thought, well, in seminary, it's going to be kind of like the Bible college I went to and where there was, it was small class sizes. And my, my friends, I was a biology major, but I had a bunch of my buddies who were biblical studies majors. And so they would spend a lot of time with their professors. And it was kind of like a discipleship group. And I kind of figured, well, seminary is kind of going to be like that. And it was to some degree. But I remember my pastor, he was a professor, a New Testament professor. And I remember just going to him and I said, Dr. Cook, I want to. The reason I came to seminary, I just want to learn how to be a godly man. I want to learn to be a godly husband and, and learn how to pastor and preach. And, and I see your life, and, and you love the Lord, and I just want to learn from you. And he looked at me and said, man, he said, I'm just so busy. I'm pastoring a church. I'm full-time. I have five Ph.D. students that I'm taking care of. I just don't have a lot of time. I was like, I, I get it. I get it. But I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Find people that are, are down the road, up farther down the road than you are in your walk, that are, that are more mature, and just tell them, hey, I, I'm, a, I'm a young believer, and I just want to learn how to walk with the Lord and learn how to have a family and da 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 do all these things. I just want to learn from you. And, and I, I would encourage you to do that because we need, Paul's need Timothy's, right? And they need Barnabas's. They need Timothy's as well. So I, I want to encourage you just by way of application, maybe find somebody that really loves the Lord that you like to emulate and say, hey, I want to walk with you and spend time with you and see how you live life. Two, beware of worldly folks who want to deter you from denying yourself and following Jesus. And there's a lot of those. Your friends, your neighbors, maybe a family member, 
you got all kind of people going to discourage you from denying yourself and taking up your cross and following Jesus. They're, they're a dime a dozen. I would encourage you to, to beware of folks like that. Number three, as we're going through these characteristics of these worldly false teachers, could you identify with them? Are you worldly? Are you earthly-minded? Are you just living for the here and now, temporal pleasures, trying to get out of life what you can get out of life? If so, I'll encourage you, as we did when we began, just to repent. Repent. You're living for yourself. You're all about what you want to do. That's not what you're created for. You're created to give God glory and to follow Him and give Him honor. And if you're not, if you're thinking about the temporal, if you're living for the here and now, you're living for you. And that's sin. That's idolatry. And you need to repent and you need to trust Christ. Because what the scriptures we said, the end is their destruction. And that end is your destruction if you've, repent, if you've never repented. If you've rebelled against the Lord and you've never repented and trusted Christ's work on the cross as your own. Your end is destruction. So I want to encourage you to repent. And if you want to talk about that, I'd love to talk to you. I'm going to be the last one here. I'm going to lock up. So I'd love to talk to you. My, my, you can call the church. I'd love to talk to you day or night about how to repent and trust Christ. Fourthly, do you long for Jesus in glory? Do you think about glory? Do you think about heaven? Do you think about being with the Lord? I have too much to do, man. It's just too much work to do here. I get that. I'm kind of a task-oriented kind of cat myself. But we need to think about glory. When you're sick and when your things don't go well, when your body starts aching and you're like, Ugh, what do all those things do? And difficulties in life, family struggles, marriage struggles, kids struggles, work struggles, money struggles, all those things, man, they ought to just, just be like slapping you in the face going, it's not about this life. And one day, if you're a believer, it's going to be good. One day, everything's going to be made right. So all our struggles in this life and, and, and difficulties, and they're all, not only the physical and things, but just the spiritual stuff, just our sin problem. Oh, I'm just so tired of fighting against sin and selfishness and pride and ugh, having to repent, 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 turn from that, turn from that, asking forgiveness, ask forgiveness, ask forgiveness. Oh, you just get so tired. But let all of those things, the physical and the spiritual struggles we have, Make us long for glory. Make us be hopeful. One day, I'm not going to be prideful. One day, I'm not going to have to say I'm sorry. One day, it's all going to be good. C.S. Lewis. Famous quote. You probably heard it. If you read history, you'll find that Christians who do most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. It's a good word for us, isn't it? Let's think about glory. So I want to pray, and as I pray, I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. We're going to sing what a day that will be. We're going to end on a high note, send us out excited, ready to go out and obey the Lord and trust the Lord and be a hopeful church. Wednesday night, let me tell you what, worship team, come on up. Wednesday night, last Wednesday night we talked about the Bible. We have the Bible. How do we know the Bible is true? Mr. Perilane, you're here, man. It's so good to see you. You were taught the Bible is true, and we just kind of take that as faith. Yeah, the Bible's true. Of course the Bible's true. We have 66 books in this Bible. Well, how do we know these 66 books are the right books? You think, well, I've never thought about that before. You probably haven't. Most of us haven't. But your lost coworkers have, and your people maybe that aren't from Tipton County that you're really with in the office, they probably have as well. So the last couple of weeks we've been talking about that. 
And how do we know that the Bible is inerrant and reliable? Well, we'll talk about that Wednesday night in our adult Bible study. So if you want to know about that, come. Students are doing a great study uh, in the student room upstairs. Children are here. Adrian and Hunter and Sarah will be teaching the, the children. If you've got a question about Wednesday night and what's available, we'd love to talk to you about that. But 7 o'clock Wednesday night, we'll meet for that. Tomorrow night, women's Bible study. Uh, and um, a lot of good things going on. But let me pray, and then we're going to sing. And this will be our benediction. If you're here, we're glad you're here. And for some of you, you're, um, you maybe you're a little, uh, you've been a little bit hesitant about coming back. But if you want to slip out as we sing, you slip out. If you're like not want to be around a bunch of people, you can do that as well. But we're glad you're here. And we're praying that God will keep us healthy and we'll be able to keep coming back. As we say, sick people stay home, healthy people come worship. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you give us your word and we give us, you've given us examples. We're thankful most of all for Christ. He's our exemplar. What an example he was. He lived perfectly. And Lord, we want to emulate him in not only his life and the things he did, but his thoughts. And we're thankful that we have his thoughts and, and we have an, an, an account of reliable account of his life in the word and Lord we, we do trust the word it is reliable and we are thankful that we have it and we have examples like Paul who he, he pursued Christ he desired to, to know him and, and, and to be like him I'm thankful for that I'm thankful for the, the, the examples you've given me in my life Lord there's so many men and women that you put in my life that loved you and love you and have forsaken all to know you and to follow you. I'm so thankful for those wonderful examples you put in my life. Father, may we be a church who loves those who are younger in the faith than we are. May we be a good examples for the, the young ones. And Lord, may as a result of today's text and today's teaching, may we have conversations going on this week of people asking younger, asking older to, to spend time and, and to help disciple. Father, we know there's a lot of bad examples in this world, a lot of people trying to deter us from following you, a lot of false teachers, a lot of people who are living for temporal pleasure. May we be wary of them. May we be wise. May you protect us from that teaching. And Father, for the lost that are here, that, that, that are wrapped up in just living for this world, they have no hope in the future. I pray that you would allow them to hear the gospel, the sweet gospel, life-changing gospel message. Lord, may it ring loud in their ears. And even today, as they spend time, and even tonight, as they, they go to bed in the darkness of their rooms, in the quietness of that room, Father, may you speak loudly into their minds, into their hearts. And may they be changed by the power of the gospel. May the children repent. May the students repent. May the adults that's never trusted you, may they repent and trust Christ's work on the cross as their own. Father, we are thankful for the hope we have. We know one day you're coming back and we're going to be like you. Not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because you're gracious and merciful and you called us out of darkness and you brought us in this wonderful kingdom of your son. We look forward to that day of being with you in glory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. Stand and sing together.